Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and today's episode is going to be another music related interview. You've probably noticed from the last few episodes I've been speaking to many people within the music industry. So to get to speak to Jamie Lemon from my favourite band Ruben, most recently Dave Laurie who is the manager for Jeff Buckley, it's been a great time to speak to people within music and that's not going to stop today. So on today's episode I'm going to be joined by Justin Schulzberg, the front man from the British band Hell is for Heroes. Now if anyone knows me personally, anyone has followed me on my own Twitter or Facebook, you will know just how excited I was when Hell is for Heroes announced a tour to celebrate 15 years of their debut album, The Neon Handshake. I remember buying that album the day it came out, 15 years ago, man, it's showing my age. But I remember sitting there and it just blew me away. It was one of those albums at the time that came along with sort of Biffy Clyro, Million Dead, 100 Reasons, and these bands completely changed my listening of music it just helped shape the taste of music that I would then grow into in my kind of teenage years and Hell is for Heroes is one of my favorite bands of all time the Neon Handshake doesn't have a bad track on it it's one of those albums you can put on from start to finish and every track could be a I think a single it's that strong I absolutely adore it so to know I had the opportunity to sit down with Justin and get an interview was a dream come true I've had a really busy couple of weeks recently. I've been to Download Festival where I was lucky enough to see Hellers for Heroes play. I thought they were absolutely phenomenal. I think they put on a great, great performance and it was great to see how much hunger they still got after many years. I mean, they took some time out and they're back and they seem more up for it than they ever were, even back in the day. But I don't want to ruin too much about that because we discussed that on the interview coming up. I've recently gone to see Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and it's just been a great time to see some awesome bands and I love this time of year when loads of bands are playing festivals and releasing new material and hopefully that will mean a lot of new interviews coming to Mark and me. So without further ado let's get to today's interview. So here I am with Justin Schulzberg from Hell is for Heroes. Enjoy. Okay Justin, um, my first question for you today is growing up, what was it that made you want to start a band? Had you been to a gig or bought a certain album that made you think, do you know what, I want to give the whole being in a band a go? You know what, um, I, I, I wasn't particularly more into music than the next kid really. Um, I've I never really seen music as, as particularly my calling. I think it's more performance and entertainment. I come from a, a, a genetic, there's, there's some uh, genetic history of uh, performance in my family. My late grandfather was a, um, uh, a kind of impressionist entertainer in the 1930s. He sort of headlined the London Palladium. And so I've always kind of grown up around that kind of culture of performance and entertainment and I suppose when I discovered uh, rock music, you know, any kind of loud, well, loud, aggressive music, it just seemed to uh, speak to me on some kind of visceral level. And uh, joining a band seemed like the most natural thing to do. But it was never, um, as I say, I, I don't really consider myself even a musician, really. I just do what, what I do, and I'm not particularly trained or necessarily even talented i just uh it's just a a platform for self-expression so what was your kind of record collection like when you were growing up in your teens did you have certain albums that you religiously listened to or was it kind of a bit of everything yeah it was fairly eclectic 
I mean, I started listening to good music, I suppose, like a lot of people from the, from the early teens. Um, I got into uh, some of the kind of 80s, New Wave bands, The Cure, Depeche Mode, and uh, I think, yeah, when I just... The first sort of proper rock album that I completely became obsessed with was probably Enema by Tool. But, you know, I also, you know, I was into sort of everything. So I, I, I kind of, um, I listened to The Clash, but I was also, you know, uh, into Pink Floyd and, you know, a lot of classic rock. So, yeah, I mean, I know that's sort of sacrilegious in some circles, but um, I've always had a bit of a, an eclectic music taste, but also not a particularly, not a particularly broad one. I mean, I don't have, I've never had kind of libraries of, of, of CDs or records or, or anything like that. I just, uh, whatever I'm, whatever's kind of of the moment uh, I, I, I discover, I kind of latch onto for a while and then move on to the next. So can you tell me literally how Hell is for Heroes formed? Was it a case of you were all friends, you know, with the other band members, or was it a case of you had an audition, or how did it all come about? I was probably the odd one out uh in the sense that the others were all uh, all went to school together and so knew each other you know from way back and i was kind of introduced through a mutual friend when i think will uh the guitarist and joe were talking about forming the band and they were looking for a singer or a front person and um we just met met in a pub really uh and i think there was a sort of strange but fairly instant kind of chemistry. You know, then we went and made, you know, got into a rehearsal room and I suppose it was an audition of sorts. And that was that, really. I mean, it's always, even from when we first met, it's always felt like, you know, we've always felt like a band of, a sort of a collection of misfits in, in some sense. Um, we, we never looked like a band in the way that some of our contemporaries did and we all bring you know quite different influences and ideas to the table and i think that's that's part of the charm really i think we've never we've never really uh, slotted in neatly to uh, a particular scene or even a particular style of music much to the to the woe of record companies and and music there's people that were around us for a while, um, but I think that's probably the thing that I personally uh, like most about our band. The thing is as well, I think you came at this time, I think it's around sort of 2000, 2003, those sort of years, when there was this big, really good scene in Britain for good upcoming bands. You had people like 100 Reasons, you had yourselves, you had Ruben, you had Biffy Clyro, you had Million Dead. It seemed to be like the peak of decent hardcore and rock bands for the country i remember even putting on i think it was top of the pops and 100 reasons were on there and i was like were you guys what was it on the word that you guys performed uh what was that show uh, called it was actually uh, a channel four show called born slippy that's the um, one yeah yeah i guess there was a moment of sorts um and we liked all those bands and played with them and got on with them and, and had good times with them um but again i, I we never felt you know, really part of that scene or or any scene, and and actually, you know, musically those bands are quite uh, different. Uh, and I think sometimes, I mean, I know what you mean. I, I, 
there was obviously it, it, there was some kind of moment for British rock bands, uh, and and a lot of that I think is to do with the way that you know magazines like Kerrang uh, kind of hyped it, hyped it up a bit, and you know it was seen as the thing to sort of buy into for a while. Um, but you know, I just I I don't know. I mean, I just think good music is good music, and it's always been around and it always will be around and sometimes you know it's it may be a bit harder to find or it's not on top of the pops or uh you know whatever is today's equivalent x factor or whatever but uh you know and other times it is you know super popular uh, I, I don't i just don't buy into this idea that somehow you know rock good rock music comes and goes or it or it dies and gets reborn or you know it's just to me it's just always around and just people you know just swings maybe in and out of fashion a little bit it's just at times it's harder to find you've got to go into those record stores and dig a bit deeper yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah i mean i guess the scene in terms of bands that kind of play together and tour together um yeah that 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 definitely was a sense of that um, but you know, as I say, we never really fitted in anyway, um, so it didn't mean a whole lot to us. So you guys obviously started rehearsing. You wrote some songs, and you then kind of secured a record deal to put out your debut. Uh, the Neon Handshake is arguably one of the best debut albums of all time. And now, I think it's because it's so honest, and it's the simplicity of the album. It's just it is what it is. It's not trying to be something different. What was it like kind of exploding? Because it wasn't just a case of you released a few EPs and then you did the first album and like Biffy Clara, you got to album five and then it all took off. You guys hit hard. You know, you were in every record store. You were playing big shows. You were playing festivals. That's quite a lot from most bands' first release. Not many people get that kind of exposure straight away. Yeah, so um, I guess we were, we were sort of lucky in, in, in a lot of ways uh, in that we had... Um, you know, uh, a record company was prepared to sort of back us off the back of, you know, you know, right off the back of, on our first album, which I think doesn't happen that much these days, particularly not to 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 bands like of our ilk. Um, you know, but on the other hand, um, you know, spending half a million pounds on on an album, you know, of basically three chord loud rock songs. Is probably uh, a bit of a waste of money, uh, and I think, you know, uh, I'm sure that the people that kind of made those decisions at the time would would will think that looking back on it, it was great because it gave us an exposure and it gave us a, a kind of moment. But I think it also put us in the same kind of ball game as bands like, you know, Coldplay and you know whatever else that, that we were just never going to be as big as you know that our kind of music just you know seen or no seen is it's just not you know we we never we never we were never even aiming for that kind of success we never expected it and so i guess we were kind of yeah we were around a lot for a moment but then you know we, we were always quite careful not to get carried away by it we never really kind of believed our own hype we you know we were just it was just about making the record that we wanted to make. We didn't really care about having big name, you know, producers or all the kind of 
glitz and the glamour that goes along with a lot of albums that are produced uh, on that scale at that level, you know, we just wanted to make, as you say, the songs that we wanted, you know, to, to, to record and, and in the way that we wanted to record them. So I think that's probably the thing that has made it uh, stand the test of, of time, or at least, you know, the, the 15 years since we put it out, that people still relate to it, and we still relate to it. I think that a lot of bands, when they do get that kind of exposure and, and money thrown at them that it's quite easy to to sort of lose your way a bit and and start you know um chasing something that is not you know is not really who you are uh so i think that looking back on it that's probably something that we did quite well awesome so after you'd done your first album you were touring you were going off there you were headlining shows i saw you on the front of kerrang and stuff was it quite pressured that you had this massive huge record deal because for the second album you didn't did you break away from the label and do it independent yeah so what happened was inevitably that that kind of tension that i was talking about came to a head in the sense that you know we just wanted to make this this honest rock record and the way that we wanted to make it with the people that we wanted to make it and you know we weren't really playing the same game as you know other bands uh, in our position and I think when it came to the second album you know there was already sh- you know uh, shit blowing up in in big record companies at the time and so you had this like constant turnover of uh, staff and, and you know uh, managers and whatever else and there was a kind of new boss who sort of wandered in and said well you know I, I want to hear the kind of the hits you know in a, in a sort of slightly cliched way I mean that's probably actually a bit unfair. I think he was probably just struggling with you know where where to kind of fit us in you know that problem of you know well we're not quite uh, like the other sort of post-hardcore bands around at the time and we're not quite like the, the sort of more poppy bands and more poppy indie bands and and you know basically we were sort of writing songs for the album and he was saying yeah go back and write some more I'm not sure about those and that just didn't really sit well with us at all um, you know that that you know we, I think not because we were particularly what's the word you know self-righteous about it it was just like uh, we just knew that that wasn't going to work for us we knew that we weren't gonna, we, we couldn't be the kind of band that that had an album produced effectively by people who worked in an office. We just knew that that was never going to work for us either way. So we just thought, well, look, these are the songs that we want to do, and you know, we understand if you don't want to do them, and and then we sort of we're just going to go off and, and and record them, which is which is what we did on our own. And you know, it was actually quite liberating in a lot of ways. We didn't have a lot of the perks. Uh, that we had with the first album of, you know, being on a major label and, uh, you know, having all that kind of money to play with. But, you know, on the other hand, I think uh, it, it unleashed uh, a sort of creativity in us, you know, certainly by the third album, which we did more or less completely on our own, uh, that might otherwise not have uh, seen the light of day. So, yeah, looking back at it, I think it was uh, it was all good. 
It's a weird one, isn't it, that you had this massive label and you had these songs that they called, you know, more of the hits, more of the, the poppy uh, ones that could get on radio, but your follow-up had songs like One of Us and, you know, that for me is commercial as some of the stuff off the Neon Handshake and it, it seems weird that they kind of wanted you to change from what you were doing anyway. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, again, I think it just, you know, what, what the, you know, the music industry is, is, has always been, I think, quite a, quite a conservative institution. And, you know, ultimately what they want you to be like is other artists, uh, you know, they want, they want you to be like other artists who are successful and they want you to kind of sound like them and look like them and then they sort of feel confident because they think that that's a good indicator of, you know, what is hot right now or whatever it is. And, you know, I understand that. It's, you know, it's, uh, music is a tricky business um, by definition. So, you know, of course, that's, you know, that's the game that they want to play. And I even understand that, you know, there are kind of bands and artists that play that game. And, you know, and, and we just weren't able to. We didn't have... You know, we do, we're not a quintessentially handsome, um, you know, slick-looking, you know, band that could, could could really pull that off. In any case, you know, as I say, we're just, we just we 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 look like a bunch of misfits. We are a bunch of misfits. You know, we just wanted to play loud, filthy rock shows uh, and you know move people in some way uh, and express ourselves in some you know, a way that is unaffected by all of that bullshit. And, you know, that's what we did. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what's kind of, you know, that's that's ultimately the stuff that, that lasts. That's the thing that, that kind of sticks in, in with, you know, that sticks with people. Um, you know, I think if, if we started trying to be a band that we knew we wouldn't be, I think not only will we wouldn't have achieved that success anyway, but I think... You know the people that, that that did support us. Uh, you know, with that first album, would have quite rightly looked at it and thought, "Well, you know, this is this is not real anymore." So, uh, you know, uh, I think that happened. To, that has happened to a lot of bands. So, yeah, I just think. Yeah, I'm not saying. I'm not saying we did everything uh, in the right way uh, or in the best way, um, or that there's nothing that I would change. But I think fundamentally, yeah, we just. Yeah, we did. We did kind of straight stay true to ourselves in that sense. And I think that's important. And like you just touched upon, then with your third album, which was your final album at that point, you did it all yourself, didn't you? Didn't Will produce it and engineer it and help kind of get involved in the actual recording process? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, and he was, you know, he was getting into that. Um, yeah, he's, he's always been interested, like, uh, you know, by sound. And I think that in some ways it was our best sounding album um, because, I, I don't know, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I, I think that Pele and Eskil, who produced our first two albums, did an amazing job and, you know, the records sound, still sound, you know, impressive to me. Um, but I think that, you know, there's also something to be said about not having people you know who are not in the band telling you sort of how you should sound uh you know i mean sometimes it works sometimes actually uh i think that you know it, it helps to have 
kind of fresh ears and people say, oh, why don't you try this, why don't you try that? But I think what was special to me about that third album is that it was just totally, you know, from us. Um, and that's probably the record that I listen to or have listened back on the most. But yeah, I mean, other people in the band might feel, feel differently, but I, I think that, that's, that that record really captured, it captured something about us that, that probably possibly wasn't fully captured on the other albums. So where did it kind of all go wrong at this point? Because you'd released your album on your own label, you'd put it out there, you'd had all the input yourself, the whole band was recording what they wanted to, you didn't have some guy in an office telling you how to write the structure of a song and how to look. So what, why, why did you break up? What was it that kind of triggered that? Well, we never, we never really broke up as such. Um, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, we had our sort of uh, periods of, uh, you know, mutual sulking and, uh, you know, whinging at each other. Um, but actually looking back overall, I think we got on remarkably well as bands go. Uh, you know, we were nice to each other, I think, in a way that that probably a lot of bands aren't. Um, and I, as I say, there was a kind of uh, there was a connection that was that was kind of under the surface. You know, it's like it's hard to sort of it's hard to really put into words. But um, you know, I think we we all kind of felt it most when we were you know, writing in rehearsals or, or, you know, certainly doing shows. Um, So we never, like, uh, split up in that sense. But I think, you know, there comes a point where you're kind of doing the circuit over and over again, you know, and touring relentlessly. And this is probably one of the things that I would, you know, have done differently. You're sort of conditioned to think that, oh, you know, if you want to be in a band, uh, certainly a kind of active or professional band, then you go through this kind of continual cycle where you sort of write, record, uh, and then tour incessantly, and then write, record, and tour incessantly. And I think actually, particularly nowadays, uh, there's something a bit contrived about that. I think, you know, that we, we, you don't need to tour all the time. Um, you know, in some ways you kind of preserve something you know, and you preserve something more by by giving less in that sense. Um, and I think we've sort of got to a point. Also, you know, I was having kind of quite bad health issues. Uh, I mean, I got a I got a brain hemorrhage on stage, and you know, we're getting to the point where touring was just, I think, kind of mentally and physically uh, wearing us down, and it was no longer becoming just fun. Um, and, you know, you get to the point in your life, I mean, I think, I, I, I'm sure it would be completely different if we were, you know, playing to theatre or arena crowds and, you know, touring in the lap of luxury. But I think, yeah, we weren't slumming it in the way that a lot of bands were, but still that kind of endless drudgery of, of sort of being on the road in, in a van. And uh, I think we got to a point where, you know, actually... We did want to do other things with our lives, uh, and you know, we all kind of went off and did those other things, and uh, you know, got had families and you know everything else. And uh, but you know, as I say, we never split up. We went, we came back after a few years and 
did some shows uh, with Hundred Reasons in 2012, and and we just done this tour now. And actually, uh, it feels like the less that we do, the you know, the, the better it is. So <laughs> we've kind of hit seem to have hit quite a good formula. It was awesome seeing you guys uh, on this tour. When you announced it, you know, 15 years since the Neon Handshake, I thought, wow, like these, because I saw you guys support 100 Reasons and you, it, it was like you'd never been away. You all came on stage and just absolutely nailed the set and, and you all had the energy you had, you know, many years ago. But the most recent tour, it was like the songs, I don't know, it felt just so completely fresh again. It wasn't like, you know, you get these bands that just keep touring the same album, trying to cash in. It was more of just, you're here just to enjoy and celebrate the album. But you seemed, as a frontman, so up for it I thought you know it sounds weird but you've become a lecturer you've become an author you're you you know you're 15 years older now but you're still jumping around on the jump kit you're still throwing yourself in the crowd you look like it's your first ever gig so I mean that must have been pretty awesome to go on stage and also see these big sellout crowds after so many years it must have been I bet I bet when you announced the toy you thought fuck are we are we announcing two big venues here is this a bit ridiculous or is this going to work yeah, definitely. Uh, I think there was uh, initially uh, we were kind of um, surprised that um, you know our booking agent, you know, was we thought we were kind of overshooting really, but yeah, amazed at how many people turned out and yeah, I mean, uh, I think honestly, I, I, I mean, I think that. Um, I suppose we're kind of lucky to be in in sort of reasonably good health and 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 be able to kind of still perform with that with that same level of intensity. Um, but you know, I, I I honestly think that we could we could have pulled it off. You know, just yeah, just playing, just performing those songs without you know necessarily any of the. Uh, kind of frenzied stage antics that we were, you know, kind of known for back in the day. I think we could have pulled pulled it off just by, you know, being true to those songs. And I think, you know, I wasn't planning, honestly, on, you know, doing, you know, crowd surfing and, and all the rest of it. I, I Honestly, I thought, I just thought, you know, that's like, I'm, I'm sure that I've kind of grown out of that by now. But, you know, when I think when you're on stage, it's, I, I, to me, the, the best thing about performing is that you it, it's not something that's in your control at all, you know, so I'm not, like, consciously at all ever saying to myself, you know, what should I be doing now? Uh, and if I was, I think it would kill the show instantly. Uh, you know, it would just totally, you know, the whole excitement of, of performing and the whole energy of their shows comes from the fact that you know, literally anything can happen at any time and you're just getting carried away. Uh, you know, I just, if you're not getting carried away, then, uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be jumping into this, the crowd, but if you're not carried away by what it is you're doing on stage, I think people get bored very, very quickly. I'm just glad and I'm grateful, I'm humbled, actually, to be in a band where I could, not only still have that experience, but have it probably in a way, an intensity that I've never, never had before. Uh, that was really the most surprising thing about these shows. It, it was, 
it wasn't just like the old days. It it just felt better. It felt um, I don't know. It just felt like more of a of a show and more of a. It, it's almost like you know the the songs are kind of so buried in our bones now that that it, we didn't have to try. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's that was the best thing about it for me. I'm you know I'm, ch- I'm absolutely chuffed about that. Now that this tour's finished, and obviously you're selling out London, um, Nottingham, Birmingham, all these different venues, have you kind of got a taste for going back on the road, or is it going to be like the 50 anniversary of Neon Handshake in 35 years' time uh, that we see you again? Well, I think uh, we're, we're doing a, a couple of festivals um, in summer, and I think I think probably, you know, we've kind of done our fill of the Neon Handshake Reflections tour, yeah. Um, I think that if we were to kind of be in any way acted again, it would, you know, we would have to kind of have a new record to offer. And you know, we are writing. We've got some ideas. Uh, um, you know, but it's it's always tricky, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you don't want to be this kind of nostalgic bland that ends up kind of flogging something to death. And on the other hand. You don't want to just write something and record something new for the sake of it because you still want to be in a band. You know, so all I can say is that if the songs are there and if it feels, you know, as raw and uh, as intense as it's ever felt, then we will make another record. It's probably not going to be another record like the Neon Handshake or anything else that we've ever done because if it was, it wouldn't be... You know, again, it just wouldn't be genuine because we are all, you know, whatever, 15 years older and, you know, have different lives. But I think that, you know, I, I think, I, I still absolutely think that we've got a lot to say through, you know, through songwriting. And I think, yeah, I think that there's a good chance that we will come up with something new that is not just for the sake of it uh, because we'd rather just leave it as it is we'd rather just let let it rest than uh, you know make it contrived in any way at the moment I'm sort of you know with some of the ideas that are circulating I'm feeling fairly confident uh, that we will pull something off do you think all the other band members are on the same page because obviously you've got to consider all of the other four and are they kind of all feeling that they want to carry on where you left off or are they kind of enjoying the fact that you went to rehearse and then some music started to come out or are they all like come on Justin we need to just do this album this is all we want to do now no no one no no one's doing that uh, I think you know everyone's everyone's kind of conscious that whatever we do has to be better than what we've just done yeah uh, you know so it has to look better it has to sound better, better. we have to just be sharper than we've just been and you know, so if anything, the, the, the kind of resistance will be, well, look, we've just done the, the best tour of our lives. Are we 100% confident that we can build on that in a way that is just not going to be, you know, that, that is going to be just, as I say, better and, and sharper and just, you know. But weirdly, as I say, we've got these ideas that, that kind of feel like there is potential. Uh, so, yeah, I think everyone is, is on the same page, I think. You know, um, we're also on the page of, like, well, you know, because we're not 
necessarily dependent on this for our livelihoods. Um, we can, you know, there's a certain kind of freedom that comes along with that, and we're not we're not in a massive rush to get anywhere or to you know to be anything. You know, we're not trying to get in the charts or um, you know amass new followers or you know whatever it is uh, that that kind of bands just starting out tend to chase after. Um, you know, we're lucky to have an audience and, you know, a platform and as I say, if we can do something that we think is better than anything we've done before, then we'll do it. Sounds exciting. It's kind of you're juicing up those listeners now that are kind of wanting new material. Um, but at the same time <laughs> there's nothing in concrete, there's no dates or any is it just literally demos at the moment between the band? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah and you know, as I say it might it may come to nothing. But um you know, I, I think I think probably if, if we put another record out, it probably will be, you know, if we do another record, we'll probably kind of do it this year and maybe put something out next year. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's just, as I say, we're, we're kind of, it feels like we're, we're not in the driving seat. We're, we're sort of just passengers. Yeah. And, you know, it will it will determine itself if, you know, uh, if we get together and, and I say it just, it's like this is a no-brainer, then we will we will put it out um, but we won't do anything that in any way tarnishes the name that we've that we've built up you know the, that, that kind of the association between our band name and some kind of you know I don't know quality uh, and pure purity or honesty like we'll never you know do anything to taint that and if that means you know that we do nothing we'd rather do nothing but I think we may end up doing something now that you're obviously a father, you're an author, uh, you're a lecturer, is it a bit weird that your students might have the opportunity to go and see you throw yourself around on stage singing rock songs now, or is it is it kind of there's quite a contrast of the guy that wears a shirt and tie to lecturer then goes and rocks the night out with his band? It's it's, it's a very different life for you now. I'm more likely to wear a shirt and tie on stage than I am giving a lecture. <laughs> but, um, I think. Yeah, it is a bit of a double life, um, but in the some in some senses, it feels they feel quite complementary. That teaching is a form of self-expression, you know, and writing is a form of self-expression in in any form, really. Um, you know, a, a lot of my teaching and my writing, you know, through university is is more about advocacy and activism than it is about you know, the art of the performance or um, being creative for the sake of being creative. But I'm, I'm sort of quite increasingly seeing, you know, I'm feeling like that those, those boundaries are being blurred. You know, I think the kind of the best, the best sessions that I teach are ones that, you know, in almost, uh, yeah, emotional is probably too strong a word, but, you know, they're, they're not just about uh, this kind of, didactic style of standing in front of a classroom and giving people facts um it is it is there is more to it than that it's it's more about a kind of communication of ideas uh that i think is not a million miles apart from you know uh what we do on stage you know in some senses most of my research is concerned with really kind of deep problems of power that underline the cultural industries, the cultural and creative industries uh, in which my band, certainly in our early days, we were immersed in. 
um, much less so now. But it is sort of uh, a quite a natural um, opportunity, if you like, to kind of think critically about you know the world around being in a band and around being on stage or being in front of a mic or being on camera or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, the, in some ways it is seamless, although I do un- understand why some people think it is a bit of a double life. Obviously the future's looking good. Hopefully, if all goes to plan, we're going to get a new Headers for Heroes album, which is something I never thought would happen sort of 10 years ago. If you'd told me that, I'd have just gone, no, nah, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, you're in a good place yourself. You've got a good career. You've got a family now. It all seems very positive. Is there anything kind of advice-wise you'd give to the listeners that are? I mean, you've met, you've touched on it a bit about these bands that go chasing, you know, the the big dream. And now it seems very much you go and be in a band to get the most likes on Instagram or the most downloads. What what's your advice for those bands that are trying to make a name for themselves right now? Because it's a lot tougher. It's all about streaming. Bands are having to tour a lot more. It's not just about record sales anymore. It's a tough industry to kind of break, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, just play from the fucking heart, as Bill Hicks said. I mean it is just uh I think that that's just the most fundamental first and foremost. Whatever else that you do in the way that you try to promote yourself or find new audiences and whether you signed to a record label or you know some artist consultancy bullshit that seems to be the fad nowadays or get your songs up on Bandcamp or you know do some kind of crowdfunding or you know social media that's just all secondary that's all fine you know it doesn't matter which way you know I mean you know that, that just it's a, that's a different thing but if it becomes primary if it becomes the thing that you know is driving you, then I think you're just falling into that classic show business trap of, you know, what you really are seduced by is, you know, the glitz and the glamour or the pull of the, of some kind of, you know, ideal of, you know, represented by fame and, and money and, and that kind of elite clique that surrounds uh, you know, celebrities and celebrity culture and the way in which celebrity culture is deified in our society, you know, I think it's just a, it's a classic trap and I think whatever happens to dead end, it just doesn't, it will never, it will never be fulfilling whether you are successful, you know, in that conventional sense of selling records, lots of records or not, or selling lots of tickets to shows or not you know it will never fulfill you will never satisfy you. I think that's just pretty obvious now and I think most people are increasingly wised up to it you know although still you go to places like LA and you can't help thinking that you know there is just this underlying desperation uh, that everyone lives with you know a desperation you know either to make it in inverted commas, or if you've made it to kind of hold on to it. Yeah, it's not just in music, it's in, you know, the film industry, it's in, you know, I think all all the entertainment industries, but I think, you know, it is a trap. It is a trap. And, you know, I consider myself lucky enough in some ways to have had a taste of it and to almost fallen into the trap. And in some ways did fall in the trap where, you know, there was definitely a time where I got caught up in 
some misguided sense of my own self-importance. But I mean, you just realise it is just a bubble. You know, you, you, you're just chasing your own tail most of the time, uh, that, and it doesn't lead anywhere, uh, whatever whatever happens. So, yeah, just play, play from the heart. I opened a can of worms then, didn't I, with that question? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. It's a good I've got, advice. I've got, plen- I've got plenty of worms. <laughs> yeah. I think you were lucky. I think you you kind of did see that big some record deal. You signed it, but you learnt the hard way, and you realised it wasn't all it was meant to be. And you've still come out stronger because you've gone independent. You've launched your own label. You've put your record out how you want it to sound. You've even got your own band members producing it, and that's probably what you'll do on the next album. I think if anyone's been there and done it and got the T-shirt, it is you. It really is. Well, of sorts. Um, you know, uh, as I say, we definitely weren't as a successful band that I think people uh, seem to think, you know, looking back on it, I think, you know, in some ways we were a bit of a flop in uh, in, in music industry terms. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had fun. I want to thank you for your time, Justin. I'm going to stop recording there because I think it's a nice way to end. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Justin Schulzberg. Like I said at the start of today's interview, one of my favourite bands of all time. Really, really great interview and I think Justin's a fascinating guy. I love the fact that he's still got this hunger and this taste to want to be the front man as Headers for Heroes and also teasing us and saying that they'd like to release new material is just, well, it excites me in a huge, huge way. If today is an introduction to you to Hell is for Heroes and before you listen to this podcast you've never actually checked out any of their albums, I urge you to go out there and check them out. Neon Handshake, in my opinion, is one of the best debut albums of all time. Go and listen to it because it's phenomenal. Transmit Disrupt, which is the follow-up, is a great, great album with some awesome, awesome songs. And their self-titled third album is phenomenal as well. Just go and listen to everything. It's all on Spotify, it's on iTunes, it's on Amazon, it's in HMV. Wherever you can find good music, they will have these albums. You will not regret it. As always, everyone, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen today. It's been a great, great interview, and I'm really, really excited about what I've got coming up for you guys. We're going to take a break from music in the next episode. We're going to go back to TV and film, and I've got quite a big, big name. I'm really excited to share it all, but as always, you know me by now. I'm not going to bloody tell you. You're going to have to sit and wait. You have to go on markandme.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know the score by now. Get on there and I'll start dropping some hints in the next week or two. In the meantime, please support me. Mark and me can't happen without the Patreon money. It costs a lot of money to put these on the server. As you saw recently, only this week, we had The Guardian put us out there as the podcast of the week, which was huge. It got us to number... 14 in the podcast chart on iTunes and that's in the whole world so it's huge but that means it needs a bigger server space to cope with the amount of people that want to download the episodes so it's really important that you jump on the Patreon even if you just give me 50p a month it all helps it means I can travel the country conduct more interviews I want to invest in some more gear because I love the sound quality but I want to improve it I want to get out there and record some better interviews face-to-face with these people, and I can do that with the Patreon money that comes through from the support of you guys and all the listeners out there. If you haven't done that yet, you can go on markandme.com and there's links there to my Patreon site. There's also links on there to the Spotify page, to the Instagram, the Facebook, and you've probably noticed on Twitter, I've been promoting lots and lots of great prizes for everyone that gets involved on Patreon as a kind of a thank you for the support. 
As I said, it's only two weeks now until my next episode and it's a huge, huge guest. I'm so excited and it was another face-to-face interview. So I I always prefer them and the sound quality is better and you can kind of get a, a much more honest interview. So until then, hope you all have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you all again soon.
Savior. Let's overturn these tables, disconnect these cables. This place don't make sense to me no more. Can you tell me what we're waiting for, Savior? Thank mm-hmm. you.